Foul Territory is presented by Gizzard Gary Productions. It is recorded from my weekly YouTube program, which is live-streamed every Friday at 9 p.m. Central. It is a firearm and 2A-related panel discussion, where I and my panel discuss current news and events, along with audience interaction, casual conversation, and friendly banter. What will you learn today? And now, ladies and gentlemen, Foul Territory. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Foul Territory 244. I am your cordial host, Gizzard Gary. It is Friday, December the 15th, so welcome to the show, everybody. So, yo, yo, indeed, there's a voice from the from the past, from the echoes, echoes of Foul Territory's past, maybe. Let us out of here. But before we get there, before we let these fellows out of their dungeon, let's say hi to everybody who's out here. Let's say hi to Kingpin. Kingpin says, yo, and he says, happy birthday this weekend to Patriot in the Dark, Ozzy Orsborne, Midnight Range TM, wherever he may lie. Uh, Pat in a Bunker is out there ending here. Chessboard is in the audience, as is Block 9. We have Artak and Daughters. There's Ozzy. Happy birthday, Ozzy. Bark at the Moon. Tread is in the audience. Dale Pogue is out there. Justin Grimm. Uh, Ozzy caught up with me today. Yes, for 45 days, we are the same age. How about that? Uh, Weston Probst is out there. Chris from the 740 is in the audience. Uh, backing up. I don't remember <clears throat> if I said hi to him, but I'll say hi again. Justin Grimm is out there. I did say hi to him already. Well, I like him so much, I'll say hi to him twice. How about that? Uh, two, Live Moo is in the audience. Moo. Or Mew, however you look Mew. at it. Could be in here. Blitz is in the audience, as is Travis T. When the feeling comes and you can't go on, it's a Travis T. That's right. Ron Wayne is out there. Uh, and uh, Travis T may be in advance the winner of the Foul Territory giveaway. It's just a pretty good bet to make that. Let's see. Rick wow, Waters out there on Facebook. Already, huh? I'm sorry? Giving it away already, huh? Might as well. Uh, might as well. Um, Defense Dad is out there. Holy hell, it's these guys again. You're the one that pushed the button, not me. The Gun Snob, all the way from Jackson Hole. Out there watching Foul Territory. Thanks, buddy. All right. Woods is out there off until January the 2nd. Go teaching. He he could be in here. He's not doing anything. Right Obviously, now. he's got time to watch the show. He's got time to be on the panel too. Uh, okay. Michael Dunn is out there. Okay. See, I think I said hi to Dale Pogue. If I didn't hi Dale Pogue, so many repeats out there. It's kind of like watching TV in the winter time. You know what I mean? Let's see. 
That's an old reference for people who remember broadcast TV. Uh, he says, I'm literally sitting on the bed in a motel room. It's too bad you can't sit on the bed and bring up StreamYard. But hey, you know what I say? 4 a.m. came really early this morning. Okay. I missed Boomstick Revenge. I tried to click on him, but he moved on me. Boomstick Revenge. There he is. Is out there. All right. Uh, I'm t- he says I'm tarred or teared. I'm not sure what that is. All right. Well, I think I said hi to everybody. If I didn't, wave your hand out there in the audience and say you missed me. Hillbilly Up is out there and in here. But speaking of in here, oh, Plain Nut 767 just jumped in. Um, uh, defense dad says, as opposed to figuratively sitting on the bed on a hotel snob. Okay. Uh, I'm going to leave that right there because we have a panel that you guys just need to meet because they're esteemed. At least that's what we call them. My esteemed panel. So let's see what they're esteemed about. Daisy Airgun Collector says, I need Gary's shirt. Well, if you go to a place called quickdrawshirts.com, you too can own one of these fine shirts. Tell them Gizzard sent you. Anyway, my panel. Here they are. All right. And the first first item up for bids is my co-host with the co-most coming to you and me. From the state of North Carolina, he, of course, is the sunshine that brightens our day. He is the Oracle of the East. What all else is he? I've lost my spiel, man. He is a voice of reason and a man of orange. He is mostly obnoxious one. Yo. Yo, indeed. Negative five dollars. Five dollars for what? I said negative five dollars. You said first thing up for bids. Oh, I my bid is negative five dollars. You give me five dollars, I'll take them. But that's my that's my opening offer. Okay. I don't I don't hear anybody else making bids either. So not yet, anyway. But it's a two hour show, so you know, could happen yet. Uh all right. Worst. Well, Bachelor auction ever. <laughs> You're not a bachelor. <laughs> that makes it even worse. <laughs> Abby Finnegan's out there, by the way. All right. Well, thank you for being here. Obi, my next panelist comes to us from the Keystone State. He, of course, uh, used to be the host of stuff. Now is not the host of stuff, but may be the host of stuff in the future. Let's welcome Guns and Barbecue. How's it going? What was the point of that you've let us out of the dungeon now? I mean, we were getting ready to be put to death by Snoo Snoo. Sue who? <laughs> Are we just going home with each other now, obnoxious one? This is kind of weird. You guys got something going on that completely does not involve me and strangely. Are we just going to. I'm completely <laughs> okay with this, too. So. <laughs> Are we just going to trade orange knives? Yep, point first. (laughs) I'll start. Perfect. (laughs) 
All right, before there's bloodshed in here, let's continue on. Because uh, let's go with the more peaceful part of my panel down on the bottom row. First, we're going to start with someone who is in, he's deep underground in an undisclosed location, but he did disclose that it's deep underground. Uh, not real deep underground, I think just a few feet underground, but still underground nevertheless. Let's welcome Pat in a bunker. Howdy, howdy. Howdy, howdy. How are ya? I'm not too bad. How's Gizzard tonight? Man, it don't get any better than this. That's kind of the sad part of the whole thing is it really does not get any better than this. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, but there's a giveaway, so keep on the show a while. Don't, (laughs) don't, don't click off yet. We get a giveaway. Stay a while. <laughs> yeah. Kick up your feet. Crack right open there, the audience. That's right. Sit back, kick off your shoes, and stay a while. Take off your hat and lay it over there on the table. Gun Websites is out there. Welcome. Gun Website. Abby says, me and my cousin did shots. Well, hopefully it didn't involve injections. I hope you're talking about. Hopefully they missed each other. Well, that too. <laughs> Good point. All right. Uh, well, thank you, Pat. Let's go to our last panelist here. And he comes to us from the Show Me State, that being the state of Missouri. And he is a host of Guns, Beer, and Therapy on Saturday nights. And he just came from the, the Georgia Shooting Connection. Let's welcome him, Billy, up. <laughs> hey, Gizzard. Man. Thanks for letting me be on here tonight. I, Friday night's one of my favorite nights of the week. I enjoy spending it with you guys. Well, we enjoy having you, man. Hey, side jet out there. Yeah, lively bunch. 27 people out there watching this mess. And no, I don't know why, but I'm glad you're here. <clears throat> the rumor probably got spread around that I was giving away stuff. I don't know. It's always a possibility. Stick around and find out. Oh, yeah, there's stuff at the bottom of the screen telling you. That's right. All right. Well, now that we have our panel, the gun snob, like I say, is away. So, on vacation, so. Probably just going to be us tonight unless someone else jumps on. So let's see. Like two live moo. Where is two live moo? That's right. We need to get him in here since Gunsnob won't jump in the panel because he's he's chicken. And it makes sense. He's a hen. So <laughs> that's that's isn't that the the hot home kettle black right there? <laughs> Mm, probably something like that. All right, so <clears throat> let's find Misha Ann. Is that there in the audience? Oh, well, looky there. Somebody named Kent Nelson looks an awful. That must be Snob's brother. Sure looks like Snob. You called him chicken. You can't have a chicken on foul territory. Gary P. I Eleven said he might jump on if you send him a link tonight. Who's Gary P. Eleven? Is any any relation to the other P11 I know? 
<laughs> I don't know, hillbilly. Would that would that count as cannibalism? <laughs> what? There's a Travis P11 and a Gary P11. Evidently. What are the odds? I think there's a Camp P11 too. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Totally. Totally. Well, that link is forwarded. Uh, Abby says we drank Irish whiskey. Uh, Misha N says morning, evening, and good lunch time. Wow, we got all kinds of weird stuff going on out there. But okay, I'm not going to judge. You know, who am I to judge? So, all right. Well, really. I'm having trouble. I forgot how to run this thing. Anybody remember how this how this StreamYard stuff works? Yeah, I think you hit the end stream button. Cool. If not, YouTube can will do it for you. Can I do it now? <laughs> yeah, you can do Absolutely. Or last can, week, like they just took ago? it down for us. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty good at that. Yeah. They darn sure are. Okay, so we've got the website bearingarms.com on our screen. And we've got five articles under top Second Amendment stories. They are Oregon officials dispute judges' facts on gun control measure. Teen wanted on carjacking charges shot during attempted vehicle theft. L.A. Times discovers a relationship between gun stores and violent crime. Not so simple after all. Nobody's going to help you here. St. Louis assault highlights the danger of gun-free zones. And Canadian arrest undermines White House's ghost gun effort. So, traditionally, we let my co-host, Obnoxious One, pick the first topic. Oh, does that mean you're still letting me pick the first topic? Because that was kind of, that's usually a lead in to where you're going to say, but this week we're going to let so-and-so pick the first topic. I'm going to let you stay on top, buddy. Okay. Then I'm going to go with the Canadian one. Canadian. Canadian. We're going to go with number five. Canadian for 500. All right. Okay. By Tom Knighton. And that was yesterday. Oh, that guy again. Yeah, you picked him, not me. For all the hysteria around so-called ghost guns, it's not really much of a problem. The numbers are small, despite media fear-mongering, and much of what we've seen has really been because of that media. Most bad guys didn't even know you could make your own guns. But the idea of bad guys manufacturing firearms isn't new. They've done it off and on for years and all over the place. While the White House is pushing laws against ghost guns in their latest anti-gun push, an arrest in British Columbia kind of undermines the idea. Nick goes on to say two Fraser Valley men have been charged after the B.C. anti-gang unit investigated an alleged gun manufacturing operation. The Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit of B.C. was tipped off about the illegal firearms in December 2021 and began investigating the alleged manufacturing and trafficking of privately made gun silencers and other firearm-related goods. Searches in February and April 2022 
of homes in Langley and Surrey turned up a slew of evidence, including three airsoft pistols that had been converted into twenty-two caliber guns, both with silencers attached, several magazines and ammunition, GSG 1911 slides, which are used to convert airsofts into more lethal firearms, 15 suppressors, and other items consistent with a firearms manufacturing lab, according to CFSEU spokesman Sergeant Brenda Winpenny. Privately made firearms represent a growing trend in British Columbia and internationally, by which criminals attempt to obtain firearms and to profit from firearm sales. Now this is Canada. There are already laws against this kind of stuff in place. The average citizen doesn't have the ability to build their own firearms lawfully. And yet the criminals will still do it just the same. At a time when the White House is pushing a series of measures, including a ban on so-called ghost guns, meaning anything that lacks a serial number but primarily focused on homemade firearms of any kind, The fact that an arrest like this happened in anti-gun Canada has to throw a bit of a wrench in the works. Bans on things like this only ban the law-abiding from doing a thing. The problem is that the law-abiding are, you know, law-abiding. They're not going to use these guns to break the law. They're not going to make them to sell to criminals. They build them for their own purposes. Lawful purposes. Yet if the White House gets its way, you and I would be forbidden from building our own firearms, even if we only ever build them for personal use. But the criminals wouldn't stop. There's no way to stop bad guys from doing bad things. Canada keeps thinking they can. Oh, I I disagree. There is exactly one way to stop bad guys from doing bad things. How's that? Dirt nap. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Canada keeps thinking they can, and stuff like this is a result. Yet these two were arrested, but how many more are at work right now making illegal guns? Stopping bad people is a good idea. Stopping activities that law-abiding citizens engage in as well, because bad people also do it, is stupid. You're not stopping the bad people from doing it, only the good people who mean no harm. But then again, isn't that the real point? (laughs) <laughs> what do you think of that, guys? That's a good article. I liked it. Any comments on that? It was good. Go it was good. It was good. I think go get picked a, well. They don't give a rat's ass about the bad guys that are out there doing the stuff. They just That's just ammunition that's, for them. Yeah. They, don't, they don't care. They don't care about the, the shootings in Chicago. They don't care about the the gang wars going on. That's just they use they use that to <clears throat> increase their, you know, mass shootings and shooting at school property numbers. Ozzy says room temperature challenge is the best way to stop bad guys. Mm-hmm. It is that, the only way you're going to stop a bad person. That should do it. Yeah. Jacob S. is in the audience, by the way. Hello, Jacob. Jacob S. is not a bad guy. He is not. So I don't know why you lumped him in like that. I just said hi to him because I have not acknowledged his presence up until now. And I'm just a nice guy. That's why I finish last all the time, because I'm a Mm. nice guy. 
All right, so let's go on. Guns and Barbecue, you get to pick an article. Um, what were the other choices? Okay, we've got the Oregon officials. We've got the teen wanted on carjacking charges. We have L.A. Times story relationship between gun stores and violent crime and St. Louis assault. Highlights the danger of gun-free zones. Let's go with the L.A. Times thing. That sounds like it might be interesting. L.A. Times for 300. The answer is... Ah, Cam Edwards. And this is today, this morning. All right, so fresh off the press. And Cam says the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel isn't the only paper that's been running a multi-part series on guns and gun owners in recent days. The Los Angeles Times has its own series called Arming America that explores gun access in the United States with a tilt toward California. And while the two series are looking at different aspects of the right to keep and bear arms, it does look like there's one commonality between the two. A realization on the part of the reporters that the issue they're exploring isn't as simple as gun control activists would have us believe. How about that? As Journal Sentinel reporter John Diedrich told me, his series Behind the Gun was originally meant to be a deep dive into gun-involved deaths in Wisconsin, and as he started to learn more about the issue, he began to appreciate the complexity surrounding the issue. Quoting here, I guess what we learned, what we leaned into is when you see simple narratives, you know, beware, Diedrich said on Bearing Arms Cammy Company. It's more complicated, and the world is more complicated than those little sound bites. And you know, social media does that really well. It simplifies things. It flattens people, too. It flattens people's stories and doesn't show the complexity within them. Sounds like the Los Angeles Times reporters had a similar experience as they were working on Arming America. As Times Deputy Director for Data and Graphics, George Levines writes, When the writers set out to determine the relationship between gun dealers and gun violence, they started with the hypothesis that more gun stores would equate to more violent crime, but they were confronted with a much more complicated reality. With few exceptions, data reporter Gabrielle Lamar Lamy, that's quite a name right there, (laughs) found a small inconsistent relationship between increased presence of gun dealers and gun violence. The underwhelming national results surprised her and investigative enterprise reporter Connor Sheets. It took the reporters months to get to that conclusion, and it upended most of their future reporting. The findings required new questions and a better understanding of how the business and its regulators operate. We started with some version of how does an increase in gun dealers impact gun violence and an assumption that we'd show readers a simple map can connecting the most violent areas to the most gun dealers. We ended with more questions that were increasingly difficult to answer. Given limited effect, why is there an ongoing push to restrict dealers in California? How do guns travel from manufacturers to crime scenes? Where are regulations failing? And can we prove any of this with data? The Times reporters still assert that their data shows a 4.8% increase in gun-involved homicides from one additional dealer per 100 square miles in a county and neighboring counties. 
I'm reluctant to accept that at face value, given the variable nature of homicide rates. But even if we do accept that premise for the sake of argument, Levine says that figure makes it difficult, if not impossible, to curb gun-involved crime by targeting federally licensed firearm retailers. In the end, one finding stood out to me in particular. Significantly reducing gun violence by reducing gun dealers would require unprecedented levels of regulatory coordination across city, county, and perhaps even state lines. So unprecedented that it's probably not realistic. In Los Angeles County, for example, it would mean more than 160s across the county and four neighboring counties combining efforts to dramatically reduce the number of gun retailers in the region, nearly 35,000 square miles. That unprecedented coordination Levine's talks about would lead to a 1% reduction in homicides, according to the data compiled by the Times, a figure that is statistically insignificant and well within the study's margin of error. This leads to all kinds of questions that challenge the gun control narrative that more guns and more gun stores equals more crime, and that cracking down on legal gun owners and the right to keep and bear arms is the only real way to improve public safety. It remains to be seen just how willing the Times will be at confronting that narrative, but at the very least, the reporters are informing their readers that making Los Angeles a safer place is far more complicated than going after gun shops and lawful commerce and arms. That's a start, and I'm curious to see where the Los Angeles Times will go from here. Another good article. Any comments on that? I like the epiphany that they had. Or, I shouldn't say that they had. I like that they had one. I think most of us could have told them what they were going to find out. (laughs) Indeed. All they needed to do was watch foul territory. There aren't a lot of gun shops in Washington, D.C. and Chicago, so... Yeah, how about that? Yeah. There's no crime either, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I see that GGW Outdoors is out there. TJ Persickety in the audience. Clint Torres is out there. Chad Kelly is also with us. Wow. We have 31 people in the audience. What is wrong with those 31 people? It's slow night, evidently. Uh, <laughs> let's go to I Pat. Kind of, I was kind of distracted reading Abigail drinking whiskey with a raccoon named Ricky. Trying to teach him how to run a saw saw so he can still Cadillac converters. Alrighty. Okay, Pat. Your turn to pick. Yeah, that's what I thought, G Webs. I thought there was literally one in DC. <laughs> uh I will take uh teen carjacking for a thousand, Gizzard. Uh that's just a two hundred dollar question. <clears throat> oh, But if you get it right, you get $200. So, hey. All right. Okay. Once again, by Cam Edwards, written today. Police in Atlanta, Georgia, say a 17-year-old who was shot by the owner of a vehicle he was attempting to steal on Thursday night was already on their radar for a string of carjackings in the city in recent months. The 17-year-old's identity has not been released, but according to authorities, 
He had several outstanding warrants for his arrest for multiple carjackings and will be taken into custody once he's released from the hospital. The shooting happened just before midnight at a Texaco gas station on Martin Luther King Jr. Drive and Peyton Place. According to the Atlanta Police Department, the 17-year-old victim was shot in the midsection. Investigators say the teenager might have been trying to steal a vehicle or getting into or get into an unlocked vehicle to steal whatever's inside. Police believe the owner of the vehicle fired shots at the teen and then drove away. Based on the scant reporting to date, it's too early to tell if this was a justifiable shooting or not. Under Georgia law, someone may permissibly, acting under fears of a reasonable man, kill to prevent commission of a felony in defense of habitation, property, or person. Whether the shooting is ultimately ruled justifiable or not may hinge on the value of the vehicle that was targeted by the teen. Carjacking is a felony-level offense, but if the teen was trying to steal the car without the use of force, then theft of property is the more applicable charge, and it can be either a misdemeanor or a felony depending on how much property in question is worth. If the value of the vehicle is less than $5,000, then it's a misdemeanor, but anything above that amount is a felony offense. Sadly, this isn't the only case of a team doing something criminally stupid and getting shot as a result that I've run across today. Now, I always appreciate all those who support the channel, but I also know that money is tight lately. However, did you know that you can support the channel without it costing you one red cent? That's right. All you have to do is use my Amazon store link when you shop at Amazon. So just go to Amazon.com forward slash shop forward slash Gary without any spaces when you do your Amazon shopping. And when you shop using that link, no matter what you buy during that session, the channel will receive a small commission from your purchases. As always, thank you for your support. In Fort Worth, Texas, a 14-year-old was shot and killed as he was attempting to break into a woman's home. Just before 3 a.m. Thursday, officers were dispatched to a woman's 911 call of an attempted burglary. Officers responded and then left to finish the report. A short time later, the same woman made a second 911 call stating the burglar was back. Fort Worth police responded again. This time they found a teenage boy with a gunshot wound to the chest lying on the ground. Police say the female caller shot the teenager who died on the scene. Thursday afternoon, the apartment was quiet. Two bullet holes were seen on the front wall. Detectives say the renter had reported break-ins or attempted break-ins prior to Thursday. Authorities haven't said if the teen had any previous run-ins with the law, but there was apparently some concern about his behavior beforehand. Fox 4 in Dallas-Fort Worth reports the 14-year-old was supposed to have a mentoring session with local activist Derwin Lamb at the teen's middle school on Thursday. Lamb had multiple community youth programs in North Texas where he shares his previous life experiences to hopefully guide children and teens on the right path. Just before Lamb was about to leave for the middle school, he received a text from the boy's teacher saying he'd been shot and killed. Quoting here, Today was just like, dang, I just, I wasn't expecting that, he said. Even though I expect that, unfortunately, in the community and the culture, I wasn't expecting that today. 
and that hurt me. It's a terrible situation all around, honestly. While the homeowner may very well have been justified in using lethal force against a stranger trying to break into her home in the middle of the night, I'm sure I'm sure it's still traumatic for her to have taken a life, especially to find out someone so young was attempting to gain entry to her home with her inside. Juvenile crime has climbed sharply since 2020, though there are signs that the violent crime rate is falling this year, along with adult offenses. Still, there are far too many cases of young offenders engaging in extremely reckless and violent behavior, from armed robberies to carjackings. In Washington, D.C., this week, authorities announced the arrest of 10 juveniles who they say were part of two carjacking rings. U.S. Attorney Matthew Graves said juveniles are responsible for a disproportionate number of these types of crimes. Quoting here, in a prior press conference, I noticed that in our experience, it is uncommon for a defendant to commit just one robbery or one carjacking and never commit either offense again, absent a subsequent arrest, said Graves. The allegations in cases like this are why we hold this belief. I also previously noted that a majority of individuals arrested for robberies and a supermajority of individuals arrested for carjackings are juveniles. I previously explained that I have instructed our career supervisors to strongly consider prosecuting juveniles as adults when they are involved in a series of armed carjackings or armed robberies. These are not the impetuous crimes of a child who's temporarily lost control. They are the calculated crime of someone willing to hold a gun to someone's head for life, for money, or property. We're failing to rehabilitate many of these juveniles, and we aren't incarcerating them either. For too many young offenders, an arrest comes with few consequences, and may give them the false impression that no one is taking their crime seriously. That might be the case for some judges and prosecutors, but it can be a very different story when it comes to their intended victims especially those willing and able to defend themselves when necessary. Any comments on that? That said a lot right there. Yeah, uh, unfortunately. Um, it's broken home. Yeah, I, it, it is. I mean, it, sadly, it is. I mean, it, that, that, unfortunately, that's the world we're living in now, especially when <clears throat> the parents are aren't willing or able to uh, keep an eye on their kids or, you know, broken homes. I mean, everybody knows. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. No, I don't, I, I don't want to hear all that because it specifically says since 2020, there's been a spike. Why has there been a spike since 2020? Because we've had all those issues before 2020. What changed? Well, I, I know it, there's more to it than that. I know there's well, more. So, but so, but so, what I'm saying is, don't just go with the quick cop out of oh, you know, broken homes, all this. Like, COVID happened. We 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 all know COVID happened 2020. So, what happened with COVID that is all of a sudden now making this spike of youth go out and commit these crimes, like? And I'm not saying that it's correlated with COVID. It's just, you know, since 2020, you know, that's when that all happened, you know. Right. And I'm glad you expounded on that. I I, I really am. Thank you, Barbecue. Um, but 
I think of a lot of it has to do just like what it said in there with uh, them not getting punished or getting picked up, the cops uh, not being able to do their jobs. I mean, it, there's, and, and there's more to it than that, but you know, I'm, I'm not trying to cop out on anything. I'm oh, no, no, saying, I, say, and I think you touched on something there is, you know, lack of punishment. Um, when they're seeing people, yeah, uh, yeah, if they get, get away with it, they get away let yeah. out, um, early things like that. Uh, exactly. that's definitely going to play a factor in it. Yeah. And, and I totally agree. Um, but yeah, and, and, and it, it goes deeper than that, but you know, um, Sorry, I probably should have expounded on that a little bit more, but no, um, I was just I was just saying, you know, let's not go to the you know normal right. talking points right. when it's like, hey, there's a spike because that the spike doesn't play COVID into the normal talking points. <laughs> COVID brought on a lot of things, especially with the release of more violent criminals and just ugh. well, just go look at just go look at California, <laughs> right? <laughs> the only time they clean their shit up is when a dictator comes to town. <laughs> okay. We had a few that interesting. Should tell you everything you need to know right there. Had a few interesting comments out here. Uh, G Web says I watched movies about kids stealing horses from people in the eighteen hundreds. Kids have been bad before two thousand twenty three. That's true. He also goes on to say, Are young people just getting the idea to do evil deeds? Or are their criminal interests using under 18-year-olds because they can be manipulated? Good point. Wood says yeah. the spike <clears throat> is behavior overall since essentially the kids didn't go to school and they had no rules for two years. Yep. Could be. That's, that's definitely a part of it, too, I think. Um, yeah, and it's, it just it puts such a stress load on parents and kids and it's just yeah that whole time was just a, uh, well, Clint Torres says Soros funded <laughs> Democrat prosecutors not doing their jobs that could be it That's uh, Ron Wayne says I blame all this chaos on little Debbie's small portions they were three times bigger when I was a kid just saying you suppose little <laughs> Debbie's has something to do with this could it be Goddamn kids with their hula hoops and their Dan Fogelberg records. Little Debbie <laughs> has a smaller snack for you. All right. Dima. All right. <laughs> what did you say, barbecue? And Zima. <laughs> okay, yeah, so. Think about it. That's when hard cells are coming out, you know, so. <laughs> All right. Hillbilly, you pick a story here. Now, oh, buddy, um, I'll take the St. Louis story for 13 cents because that's probably all it's worth. St. Louis story. Okay, that's this one here. All right. Okay, and this is 4 o'clock today by Cam Edwards. Okay. Ah, though Missouri is generally pretty good when it comes to the Second Amendment, there's still room for improvement. The Missouri House of Representatives, for example, approved HB 282 earlier this year, which would have repealed the prohibition on lawful concealed carry on public transportation. But the bill failed to receive a vote on the Senate floor before the session gaveled to a close, keeping 
the gun-free zones in place for at least another year. The problem is that these supposedly sensitive places don't come with extra security to ensure the safety of riders, and crimes involving firearms still take place despite the no-guns-allowed policies in St. Louis and Kansas City. The most recent incident happened earlier this week when a man assaulted a passenger on a city bus. According to the FBI, the unknown suspect violently attacked and pointed a gun at a transgender victim at about 3.30 p.m. on April the 13th aboard a metro bus at Chippewa Street and Grand Boulevard in St. Louis's Dutchtown neighborhood. Surveillance video showed the suspect taking a seat near the back of the bus and began talking to the victim, who was already aboard, according to the FBI. Minutes later, the suspect got up from his seat and began kicking and punching the victim nearly two dozen times. He also pointed a gun at the victim. The victim, Sidney Massey, spoke to the Riverfront Times about the assault, and the paper also reached out to Kevin Scott, General Manager of Security for Bi-State Development, which runs the city's metro transit system, who had basically admitted that the gun-free zone operates on the honor system. How about that? When asked if there were any security measures in place that could have prevented Maisie's assault, particularly in regard to the assailant's gun, Scott says it's not possible to scan riders at all 59 bus routes in Metro Transit's three-jurisdiction scope. But the agency does employ public safety personnel who patrol bus routes and transit centers and respond to calls for help. Security guards and police officers, including some from SLMPD, According to Scott, ride the buses. We can't have a police officer on every bus, but we try to create a dynamic where police officers in overtime and off-duty capacity ride some of our buses for visibility and comfort, Scott says. There wasn't a security guard or a police officer on Maisie's bus, and his bus kept traveling its route while Maisie was attacked. Even through the chaos of it all, Maisie says she remembers questioning why it seemed as if no one else on the packed bus reacted. Why were there no turning heads? She remembers kicking back and screaming, Somebody help me! Nobody's going to help you here, Maisie says, a man said as he pulled out his gun. Maisie is a staunch supporter of public transit and still uses it exclusively. Even so, she wonders if things would have been different if St. Louis's system was safer or more efficient. It shows how big of a failure public transit is in St. Louis, Maisie says. It's not safe. Like, nobody should have a gun on the bus. But he did. I don't know if this shows how big a failure St. Louis public transportation is, but it definitely shows how ineffective labeling a place a gun-free zone is when it comes to keeping guns away. Metro Transit prohibits anyone from carrying a gun on their property, but has no way of ensuring that the policy is being followed. The result is a system that disarms the law-abiding while empowering violent offenders to carry out their attacks in a target-rich environment. If nobody should have a gun on a bus, but Maisie's attacker did, then why shouldn't Maisie be able to carry a firearm for self-defense? Hell yeah. Why shouldn't any lawful gun owner be able to do the same? The city can't protect riders, so why are they not able to protect themselves? The carry ban on public transportation not only prevents lawful gun owners from bringing their firearms on buses and light rail, but disarms patrons who rely on public transportation as they go about their daily routine. 
Even if Metro Transit officials contend these attacks within the system are rare, violent crime in St. Louis is unfortunately all too common. Yet those residents dependent on using the transit network have to make a choice. Violate the law and bring their firearm with them, or follow the law and be disarmed and defenseless throughout the day. I sincerely hope that legislation mirroring HB 282 will be introduced in the Missouri legislature again next year, and that state senators will have the intestinal fortitude to approve the bill alongside their House counterparts. Public transit in the state is gun-free in name only, and it's high time to ensure that patrons don't have to give up their right to armed self-defense in exchange for a ride. Great article. Comments on that. Yeah, um, St. Louis is District 1. It's the only really liberal, you know, hold in Missouri. And, I mean, literally, if a 12-year-old asks you for a cigarette in St. Louis and you tell them, no, you're going to get a gun pulled on you. So, I mean, it's just just how St. Louis rolls, you know. So I know we've got at least one St. Louis. we got some St. Louis people out there, people in that general area. Yeah, uh, there's good people in St. Louis. I oh, yeah. That. It's just, if you've been to St. Louis very many times, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, gun-free zones in name only. Imagine why that doesn't work. Let's let's declare places gun-free zones and not prevent criminals from carrying there. How could that end up badly? I don't see a problem with that at all. I really don't. It's crazy. It's crazy. All right. I guess that leaves me with the one article that hasn't been read. That, I believe, is article number one. I much prefer Article 2. We already read Article 2, didn't we? Oh, never mind. <laughs> what about number three? What about it? Okay. The circuit court judge who ruled that Oregon's Measure 114 establishing a permit-to-purchase scheme and imposing a ban on so-called large-capacity magazines violates the state constitution says he'll hold off on signing his final order in the case until after a January the 2nd hearing where the state will have the opportunity to object to some of his factual findings. It's highly unlikely that the hearing will change Harney County Circuit Judge Robert S. Ratio's determination that Measure 114 conflicts with Article 1, Section 27 of the Oregon Constitution, which states... The people shall have the right to bear arms for the defense of themselves and the state, but the military shall be kept in strict subordination to the civil power. Allowing the state to present its case, however, does make it at least slightly more difficult for Oregon Attorney General Ellen Rosenblum to assert irregularities in the circuit court trial while the case is appealed. There are a couple of Ratio's findings that are being challenged by the state, starting with his determination that the FBI would not be handling the expanded background checks that come as part of the permit-to-purchase scheme. At the time of the trial, the FBI refused to allow state police access to the Bureau's fingerprint-based criminal history data. 
Before Ratio issued his ruling on the measure, the state attorney general's office worked out a temporary fix with the FBI. According to court records, the FBI offered a grace period that would grant Oregon State Police access to the Bureau's National Criminal History data to complete the fingerprint-based background checks. As long as the state police won't let anyone other than a local police chief, a county sheriff, or one of their subordinate officers have access to the information. Under the measure's language, a local police chief, sheriff, or their designee may serve as a permitting agent who would obtain an applicant's fingerprints. Before permitting could work, the FBI had to authorize state police to submit fingerprints obtained from local permitting agents through the FBI's Next Generation Identification Database, a biometric system that allows for a search of identity record. But the FBI was concerned a third party could access criminal history data. Under a negotiated temporary fix, the state police will only share the national criminal history information with a sworn law enforcement officer, according to the state attorney general's office. Regardless of the FBI's position, Wilson argued that the guns had said he wouldn't consider how the measure's regulations would be put into practice and would restrict his ruling to the language of the measure. A yellow for the Harney County gun owners responded that the FBI's changed stance occurred after trial, and the judge shouldn't consider it because there's no guarantee the FBI will continue to allow Oregon access to do the fingerprint-based national criminal history records. I'd say Aiello has a better argument, especially if the fix the AG has worked out with the FBI is being described as temporary and subject to a grace period. Among the other objections from the AG's office is Ratio's finding that the new permit-to-purchase scheme would amount to a 30-day waiting period, since that's the amount of time law enforcement has to approve or deny a permit. The AG's office argues that the 30-day period is the maximum time allowed by law, but permits could be issued much sooner than that. The Federal Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, however, recently ruled Maryland's permit-to-purchase requirement, known as a handgun qualification license, was unconstitutional precisely because of that potential month-long wait, which the Fourth Circuit ruled is long enough to implicate and intrude on the rights of would-be handgun buyers. The AG's office also contends that the judge got it wrong when he ruled that magazines are an integral part of a firearm, citing testimony from their expert witnesses on muzzle-loaded guns that do not use magazines. In the vast majority of modern-day firearms, however, magazines are necessary for the firearm to function as designed. Without them, you in essence have a single-shot firearm, and it's hard to argue that anyone buys a semi-automatic handgun or rifle with the intent of only having one round at their disposal in case of self-defense. Much of the other complaints sound like nitpicking more than anyone, anything else, like disputing Rasha's determination that the media sensationalizes mass shootings and claim the judge's use of the 2021 National Firearms Survey to determine that 38% of Oregon residents are gun owners and half of them own large-capacity magazines that would be banned under Measure 114 is inadmissible hearsay. I don't expect these arguments will be persuasive to Ratio, but the Oregon Attorney General's office is going to use every tool it has to try to enforce the anti-2A edicts within Measure 114, no matter how fr- frivolous or insubstantial they might be.
be. Wow. Got some messed up stuff going on in Oregon, don't we? Everybody's yeah, still awake. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty messed up out there. And now, of course, Chicago. Now, Chicago? Well, Chicago as just now got yesterday. messed up. Anyone else well, want to disagree with that? <laughs> even worse. Even worse, I'll put it that way, because of the uh, ruling the other day. C4 Defense is out there. He says, we? Yeah, we? Okay, I see Vanessa Kitty's out there in the audience. We have, still have 28 people out there. I haven't bored everyone. All right. Okay. So I think that's it for our 2A stories. Now, I want to remind everybody that today, what day is it? It's Friday, isn't it? What happens on a Friday? Anybody remember? Well, Friday Friday is free patch Friday. And remember that Gear Websites is your source for every second matters gun channels, gear, ammo ID, and more. They have patches, stickers, and other items. And of course, every Friday is free patch Friday. So buy cool stuff at gearwebsites.com. All right. So don't forget that. But, you know, don't take my word for it. Let's uh, let's talk to G-Webs himself and let him tell you about it. Gearwebsites.com is your source for firearms-based playing cards and books. We also have mugs, shirts, and posters with designs that we've made live. Of course, we have patches. Every Friday is free patch Friday. We appreciate your support. Thank you for shopping at gearwebsites.com. That's right. Buy cool stuff at gearwebsites.com. Well, let's see. Finding all my stuff here. I want to get rid of that because it is time for what did you learn segment. And in this segment, we... Uh, Ask each of our panelists, what did you learn? And then give them a chance to plug their channels. So uh, let's start with my co-host, Obnoxious One. What did you learn? I learned that barbecue is a quitter. He is. <laughs> what have you got coming up you need to tell us about, sir? Uh, stuff and things. I got lots of, I still got a bunch of videos I need to get done, get them out. But I've been kind of backed up with deer hunting and Amazon videos and all that stuff. So I had to get back into the swing of it and get some of the stuff out for people that I owe them videos on. So you can expect to see that that P320 is going to show up with that, with that RFX 45 on it. And you've got go over, we'll probably do just a short or something with the 43X with the, with the cross armor and stuff in it. But Cool. Lots of stuff hanging around here that I got to get done. All right. We, we we look forward to all of that, sir. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Let's go with uh, Pat in a bunker. Pat, what did you learn? 
Uh, I learned that Obi has a lot of nice knives and a lot of nice guns. <laughs> and uh, my hat's off to him, especially that M and P. Man, that is that is a slick looking gun. But uh, <clears throat> as far as plugging anything, uh, getting back to the knife end of it, if you guys are looking for something quick and nothing mechanical as far as the WorkSharp belt stuff. Uh, this is a WorkSharp. It's got a fine and a coarse side. It is a 20 degree on there and on the guide. And it has a coarse and a fine hone on it along with a little leather strap right there. And I usually put just a little bit of diamond polish on that. And that really slicks the blade up really nice on there. I just impregnate that leather just a little bit. And for pocket knives or anything like that, just check your uh, degrees on the angle on your knife before you use this. But uh, most of the stuff that you run into, like kitchen knives and stuff like that, works great for that. Uh, another guy I would like to plug is, uh, go ahead and check this guy out. Decoding Firearms, John Petrolino. Uh, he's, this book's been out for a couple years now, but, uh, really good for the first time shooters and everything out there. It's a, just a really good guide on all the actions and there's plenty of pictures and stuff in there. So he really spells it out really nice in there. And of course, the last person I want to plug is Need Ammo. I was just up there and talked to all the guys at Need Ammunition and uh, spent the better part of an afternoon with uh, Joe and Dakota and Tom and Greg Mead, the, uh, the man himself that designs all the bullets and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, go check those guys out. And, uh, of course, in uh, closing here, go check out everybody on this panel. Everybody's got really good content. Um, yeah. And uh, just in case I don't make it on again, if I get too busy or anything, I just want to wish everybody out there in the chat a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And uh, just remember what the season is for, people. It's, it's meant to be spent with friends and family. It's not about a bunch of gifts and stuff like that. It's... it's it's family time. It's friend time. It's so don't lose sight of the holiday season. So, but anyway, that's all I got. Thanks, Gizzard. All I right. Appreciate it. Thank you. If you want a real monster to take along, here's a work sharp. This is a little pocket sharpener. Oh, nice. And it's also got I... the three little wrenches in there to take apart your knife if you need to and stuff like that. I wouldn't recommend this for you know, heavy-duty work, but it's something you could stick in your pocket and have with you in case you needed it, so. Since, since we're showing off that? our workshops, so. Well, how are you getting along with that one, Gizzard? I've been thinking about getting haven't one. used it all that much. That's something okay. I would typically only use on something. Let's be real. I'm not going to take that to any of my Civivis or anything like that, but. Uh, right. To an inexpensive right. knife or something like that, especially if you're out somewhere doing something, you just need a quick 
quick edge on your knife. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that kind of thing. Let's go to uh, Hillbilly Up and ask him, what did you learn? Well, I was going to say, but I learned about, Obi has a bunch of nice guns and stuff, but Pat took that. So, anyway, I'm just going to say, uh, Pat, can you turn your, your camera back on? Oh, yeah. Hold on two seconds. I want to learn that I learned that Pat has a bag of chips back there in the corner on that table that he probably shouldn't eat. <laughs> no, you probably don't want any part of that. <laughs> Decon chips? I don't know. Those, yeah, those they're, they're, very good. they're not spicy and they they, they, they got not spicy, but they've got a hell of a kick to them. <laughs> give you the runs, give you, give you the runs all day. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, Gator! Thank you so much for having me on, buddy. I always have fun here on Friday nights. It's such a blast. And uh, I got coming up. Oh man, I got videos coming up uh, next week. I'll be starting the. Uh, my seven gun shorts of Christmas. Uh, it'll be seven, uh, basically Christmas gun shorts. <laughs> you know, leading up to that Christmas. Works. And that's always a lot of fun. And then uh, tomorrow night, we got guns, beer, and therapy. And uh, we'll be having a giveaway there, of course. And then the 23rd of December, we're going to be having our Christmas party there. Uh, we'll be doing some giveaways there. It's going to be a lot of fun. And th- th- this month's just, it's full of stuff. The 30th, we're going to have uh, Brown um, on there that makes the custom grips for guns. And, I mean, oh, nice. great stuff. Brown works and it's going to be fun. You're not going to miss that either. So a full month of Guns, Beer, and Therapy, Saturday nights, 9 a.m. Central Time, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern. So if you guys ain't doing nothing, make sure you swing by and uh, try to have a laugh with us. All righty. Well, thank you for being here. Let me go ahead and take us take us out of here. I want to thank everybody for watching, whether you watched on uh, YouTube, Facebook, or Twitch. Thank you for taking part in the show. All those watching the replay on the various platforms or listening uh, to the audio podcast out there. I appreciate each and every one of you. Thanks for everybody who sent in Gorn for commenting out there in the comments. And a special thanks to everyone out there who supports me as a YouTube channel member. Thank you so much for your support and everything uh we'll do this again next week next week let's see that'd be the 22nd that'd be foul territory 245 so make sure and check us next friday at 9 p.m central uh again let's see all kinds of good shows tomorrow night you got uh, hillbillies guns beer and therapy same time as my show on saturday night so make sure and check that out I'm usually on a panel. We'll have a good time there. Plenty of other programs, too, on Saturday and Sunday and throughout the week. Support all these people who put out stuff to uh, to uh, keep us all entertained and keep us all together as a community. So uh, 
Have a safe and pleasant weekend, everybody. If you're out there driving, be careful. And as always, if anyone tries to infringe on your right to keep and bear arms, remember to give them the bird. This is Gizzard Gary on behalf of my panel. Uh, if anybody's got any last-minute shout-outs or say goodbye, do it now because I'm about to roll the credits. Make somebody's Christmas better. Ho, ho. Stay safe, carry your weapon, and Merry Christmas, and have a Happy New Year. And good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Foul Territory is a production of Gizzard Gary Productions and is streamed live every Friday at 9 p.m. on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch and released as an audio podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes, Samsung, and Podchaser. For more information, visit our website at gizzardgary.com.